From the Boston Globe and PRX, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Everyone knows that couple, or maybe many couples, from their hometown who met in high school. When you think of that couple, what comes to mind? Maybe you think of gooey Facebook posts or MySpace posts, inside jokes that date back to prom night. Maybe it seems like that couple has known each other for so long, they have their own language. Today we're talking about a couple who met even earlier, before the football games and class trips and chemistry labs of high school. But it's probably not the story you think it is. I'm Jay. I'm 33 years old, and I'm living in New York, and I'm a data analyst. And my pronouns are he, him, his. I'm Mel. I'm 33. I live in New York, and I'm a writer. She, her, hers. We've been married for about three years. We've been together for about eight years, and we've known each other for about 23 years since we were 12 years old. Jay and Mel met in seventh grade social studies class. They were living out east in a major metro area. Those aren't their real names, by the way, but it's what we'll call them here. It's 2001. Smash Mouth and S Club 7 are on the radio. Legally Blonde and Donnie Darko are in theaters. And Mel is starting her first week at a new school. I remember that I had a really awkward haircut and really awkward glasses. I felt very confused about how to present myself in this new school uniform. And I felt really dorky and and out of place and overwhelmed by the whole new school thing. I think my strongest memory of Mel during the grade when we met was that she had a wooden locker and I had a metal locker and I was jealous. And other than that, I mean, I think she seemed like she was, you know, nice and friendly and full of energy. But you're really jealous of my locker? Mostly the locker, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The pair are friendly throughout middle school, but it isn't until high school that they really connect. It starts on a school trip to Paris between Jay and Mel's sophomore and junior years. So we were in Paris for four days, you know, frolicking around. And I have textual evidence of my crush beginning because I wrote it down in my travel journal, which I still have. Mel, how do you remember that trip? I remember it was a really fun trip. We peeled off at one point, the two of us. There was like one evening where we were allowed to explore a little bit. And I like made a point to peel off one-on-one with you. And we like got a really cute hot chocolate. And I remember making a point of, I decided that the Rodin Museum was the most romantic place I'd ever been. Oh, I agree. Thank you. Yeah, I thought the Rose Garden was so romantic, and I decided on the spot that that's where I would like to get engaged. And I remember making a point of telling you, Jay, like, 
I probably said something ridiculous like, oh, if you ever meet my future husband, like, please tell him that I would like to get engaged at the Rodin Museum in Paris. And you wrote that down. Back home, Mel and Jay continue to grow in their friendship. They're both members of what was then called the Gay-Straight Alliance. Mel, who identifies with the straight portion of the GSA acronym, is president of the club junior year. Senior year, she and Jay become co-presidents. The GSA is particularly meaningful for Jay. At this time in his life, Jay identifies as a woman and had come out as a lesbian earlier in high school. So we went to a very open, tolerant school. Like, it was not unheard of to be gay or anything. But at the time when I was in high school, there was really no other openly gay student. Only when when I was a senior was there another, like, openly gay student. So I was just interested in joining the club to be able to feel more comfortable being out, I guess. And Mel was already very much involved as a, like, strong ally. Being co-presidents is important because it gives Jay and Mel a big opportunity to spend one-on-one time together. I remember feeling really excited about having a reason to talk to you. It was a big deal to me to be able to invite you over for a sleepover to plan some of our meetings. I was also obviously really excited to be in these like more intimate planning spaces with her. And uh, the sleepover was both exciting and terrifying to me. Remember, Jay's out as a lesbian at this time, but Mel is still holding her ally stance. That crush feeling, though, secretly, it's mutual. So I definitely started having... Uh, crush on Jay definitely by the time I was like 16, 17. But it was one of those things that I was like, oh man, bury that feeling. Like, oh, like there is this feeling of attraction and just a kind of intense emotion. Um, But I was very worried about that feeling. I didn't know what that meant. I wasn't somebody who was like obviously gay as a teenager. I had plenty of genuine crushes on boys. And I remember feeling like a club meeting would be such a great excuse for us to have a sleepover and have one-on-one time. I really wanted us to watch a movie that we would be discussing in the club meeting. And so that just seemed like obvious that you would then spend the night after watching a movie. Does anybody remember the movie? I'm just curious. Oh, absolutely. It was The Family Stone. (gasps) What a good answer. It was The Family Stone, specifically that really awkward family dinner scene about having a gay son. I was like, this is great material for us to discuss. The Family Stone, for those who haven't seen it, has Diane Keaton leading an all-star, very weepy Christmas movie with many family conflicts and an awkward dinner scene about gay characters that is so hard to watch, so much cringing. 
I remember being like really excited and trying to like play it cool. And I remember being like, oh, and we can just like sleep in the same bed. Like, why don't we just do that? And And I said, no. (laughs) So what was going, Jay, what was going through your head at that point? I had kind of, I think, internalized a lot of, I guess, looking back, sort of homophobia. I was really, really afraid of anyone who I had a crush on, like perceiving me as a predator, I think honestly. And I, I think at that time I was also in, in my kind of imagination of myself, like ascribing to these like old, old school definitions of chivalry. Nothing ever happens at the sleepover besides some deep reading of Diane Keaton's familial relationships, of course, but Jay and Mel continue to be close friends through high school They graduate in 2007 and head off to separate cities for college. For a while, they write handwritten letters to each other. They keep in touch over the phone and see each other when they're both home. College is a big time of discovery for both Mel and Jay. During college, I learned many things (laughs) about my sexuality. And at the time, I was really excited about being like perceived as a tomboy lesbian like Justin Bieber was my sort of style icon and I was part of a sorority and and there were a lot of gay women in the sorority I didn't have a super queer college experience I ran with an arty crowd and for whatever reason there weren't a lot of like queer women in that crowd I had some lovely college boyfriends and I guess it was like by the time I was a senior, I realized that I had developed a crush on one of my close friends and I was like, oh, I think this is different. That slow realization also coincided with a festival in the English department about queer writers and just feeling like oh, wait a minute, Um, there's something about, like, I both want to be a writer and I also think that I'm queer. There is a kind of dual recognition for me. But it wasn't until I graduated from college where I felt like I could really start to experiment. After graduation, Mel moves to the West Coast, and Jay moves east. Mel finds that living in a new city gives her the permission she's been looking for to explore her queer identity. In fact, she has one really big crush on a woman we'll call Lucy. It's the kind of crush that's so overwhelming, she needs someone to process it with. She decides Jay is the perfect person for the job. You sort of coached me through my crush and help help me decode all of these emails that we'd been sending back and forth. For Jay, the news of this crush, and more broadly, of Mel embracing her queer identity, is huge. It reminds him of that long-standing crush from high school, and it gives him a flicker of hope. It was a really happy surprise. <laughs> um, I, I was 
instantly jealous of this person. It was just, it was like a peek through the door. It made me feel like I had maybe a chance. At one point, Mel and Jay find themselves both back in their hometown for a visit. It's been over a year since they've seen each other in person. They meet up and see a movie together. Mel invites Jay back to her parents' house to hang out in the kitchen. I tried to put on my, like, gayest outfit possible. Which what's, is your re- gay, what's your gayest outfit possible? Gay I, need out- to re- I need you to really set the scene. Yeah, gayest outfit possible circa 2012 was some Birkenstock sandals. and wow. Time- timeless. Timeless and some oversized Carhartt work pants, an incredibly stretched out tank top, which prominently displayed my unshaved armpits. That was an important feature to me and loose, loose, wavy hair. And I was like, I really want to be legible to you, Jay. And I remember standing in my parents' kitchen and just trying to just sound so effortless and cool. And I remember deciding that that would be the right moment to introduce the idea that I had had a huge crush on you in high school. And I think I said something like, oh, (laughs) you want to know something so funny? You were actually on my list of five people I might marry one day. Jay, what was it like to get that news? At that moment, just like hearing that, it was sort of a just like reigniting, like when you put a match on a stove, just like At the time of this big kitchen counter disclosure, Jay is in a relationship and Mel is really trying to make it work with Lucy. Over the next couple of months, both of those relationships end. But Mel and Jay are still in separate cities, and they're still just friends. Eventually, Mel leaves the West Coast, where she'd been living, and moves back in with her parents. She feels like she needs to get her life together, and she wants to figure out how to become a writer. About a year into Mel living with her parents, Jay comes home for a visit. He's in his own sort of transitional period, getting ready to start grad school and he's staying for the summer. He decides he's ready to finally have this big talk with Mel. We had a picnic, and I decided that I should be very forthcoming and say something along the lines of, there is a force between us that needs to be addressed. So Mel, when you hear this wonderful line about the force between you, which when I say it, when I say it, it sounds like Star Wars, but when you said it, it sounded romantic, but... Uh, it what, sounded a little like Star Wars back then, too. Yeah. It, okay, so what what was your reaction? Well, he was like, Mel, I need to tell you something. And there is a very long pause, and I was tempted to just jump in and say love you too <laughs> like I, I but I was like no 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 you just slow down he had something to tell you I was so giddy and thrilled we like stopped being able to eat the like lentil salad that we had like prepared it was like the floodgates were open and we had so much to say to one another 
They cancel their plans for the rest of the day and spend the whole afternoon spilling all the secret moments they'd crushed on each other in high school and in the years after. They call it their Rolodex, the catalog of all their missed connections, the list of moments that led them here to finally seeing one another in the romantic light they'd both secretly hoped for for so many years. It's 2014. They only have two and a half months left before they both move on to grad schools, once again, in separate cities. They start dating immediately and prepare to take it long distance. Being in an actual romantic relationship, this is a massive change for Jay and Mel. But it's only just the beginning. More after the break. Okay, we're back. Mel and Jay's romance is brand new. Their relationship, though, it's anything but. Remember, they've known each other since they were 12 years old, so they know way more about each other than your average newly dating couple. They find themselves skipping over a lot of those early relationship steps as they lean into their history. And that starts to make things pretty intense. The size of the relationship didn't match the size of our knowledge of each other in a way. That plus long distance just kind of created this like boiling pot that was, uh, yeah. it, it needed it needed burned. to boil over. And we dramatically broke up on the first Thanksgiving that we were away at school. And then we dramatically got back together by Christmas Eve <laughs> that same year. So we, you know, like there was some growing pains. It was also really nice, I think, actually, to be in a long-distance relationship, being an early relationship, because it w- it puts so much emphasis on talking, and that, I think, laid such a, a great groundwork that I really value. As Jay and Mel adjust to finally seeing each other in an open, romantic light, they're also moving through another big moment. Remember that picnic where they confessed their feelings for one another? Jay said something else that day. During our like first picnic, I also said, and also by the way, like I'm a little bit trans. I didn't know what that was totally at the time. Um, at the time, I was beginning to think of myself as the idea of being trans with an asterisk after the S. Like at the time, I was like, maybe I'm sort of androgynous, maybe I'm sort of genderqueer, but I still use she, her pronouns and think of myself as a woman. Jay's feelings about his gender don't come as a big surprise to Mel, and she's completely on board. You brought up the the thing about I'm a little bit trans in in our meeting. I was like, well, duh, you are. Like, <laughs> it just seemed like something obvious to roll with, and it wasn't ever anything that like snuck up from out of nowhere. So it's always sort of on the table, but we definitely decided that we were girlfriends at first. And it was a big deal to me to have like such a butch girl, like visibly queer girlfriend. That was really exciting. Through grad school and over the distance of their relationship, Jay continues to explore his gender identity. The social nature of grad school, always offering new people to meet in new settings, it actually helps him feel more comfortable doing so. I remember you sent me an email or maybe a text 
maybe two years into our relationship and you were like, oh, hey, here's an update for the back burner. I'm thinking about using they, them pronouns instead of she, her, and I want to start going by this new name. And I was like, oh my God, great. Let's start today. And because we were going to grad school in different cities, my grad school community became the like testing ground for your new pronouns and your new name. And every time you came to visit, that's how I would introduce you to the community there. And that, that was like our, our little trial. Mel and Jay do long distance for two and a half years. Jay finishes his program first and moves in with Mel for her final semester of grad school. Then together, they move back to their hometown to figure out their next steps, both as individuals and as a couple. There was a feeling of wanting to take the next step with our relationship, but still feeling like there was so much personally that we had to, we had to grow into ourselves. It's only kind of in retrospect that I can say, like, there were little bits that were part of me forever, but it would be not genuine to say that, oh, I always loved boy stuff and I always wanted to play with the guys. Like, I don't want to pretend to have always known that I was like a trans man my whole life because there were so many formative experiences that I had as a woman in community with other women. And I like my closest relationships now are with cis women and and I really value that. Looking back, it was kind of a heartbreaking experience for me to go through puberty and realize like, oh, I'm going to mature as a woman. In that time, I was like, oh, well, let's just like make the best of it. And I was totally like fine, like being a woman for like a while, like 10 years, I guess. And then it just started to occur to me little bits here and there that it wasn't working. It wasn't right. There was like, you know, little ways that I made little changes here and there. And then it got to a point where I was unsatisfied by the sort of small changes that I was able to make, like cutting my hair or wearing more, you know, masculine clothing or whatever. Should I transition? Like, should I rather like have a medical intervention in this? Like, should I start taking hormones? I was like, that was the hardest part, that decision. And it was such a crazy thing to be considering, like, what does it mean if so many of my important friendships and relationships are with women and I want to be a man or like, what does it mean that I don't believe in gender and I want to change my gender in a very like binary kind of way? Like what, like that doesn't make any sense. And so like kind of the moment when I was able to just let go and just start taking hormones, it was just like an instant wave of relief. All of the things I had been concerned about just like flew away. Change. It's a running theme for Mel and Jay. Changes in their own identity, in the identity of their shared relationship, in jobs and living situations. Around this time, Jay and Mel are both working to establish themselves professionally. 
They're figuring out where they want to put down roots and whether they're in it together for the long term. We were having a lot of fights around the time that we like really moved in together. I remember there being a lot of tension about how far in the future we were willing to commit to each other in this moment of like ongoing personal evolution. We'd been talking about being together and getting married. And there is a park that became very important to us. It's like where we would go to talk about important things. And I remember sitting on the bench in the park and deciding, I think we should get married. When they have this talk, it's 2018. They discuss what marriage means to them, what it means to get engaged. Jay wants to get married too, but he's not ready to propose just yet. So we have an engagement ring in our box of love letters for nine months, wondering when we're going to get engaged. And then it's Christmas time. We're at a Lowe's. We're buying light bulbs. I have a meltdown in Lowe's that you are never going to remember to propose to me. I'm crying. We go outside in the parking lot and we choose a day to get engaged so that I will stop worrying that he's going to forget. And... (laughs) Um, The agreement is that we will know what day it's happening on, but you wanted to plan something special to be a bit of a surprise. They pick December 30th, 2018 as their proposal date. And Jay knows just the place. He remembers Mel's love of the Rodin Museum, the one they visited in Paris back when they were teenagers. Turns out there's another Rodin Museum closer to home in Philadelphia. And Mel, what was your reaction when you realized where you were? Oh, I burst into tears, as is my custom. We sat on a little park bench, and I think you said, I've loved you for a long time, and I love you still. And will you marry me? I said yes. Jay and Mel get married in September of 2019 in their hometown, not far from where they met. They have their reception at a local cafe with a live jazz band. They become husband and wife in front of their closest community of family and friends. By the time of the wedding, Jay is more than a year into his medical transition, and he has legally changed his name and gender marker to reflect who he truly is. Weddings, by nature, are very public displays, and the timing of theirs feels particularly poignant for Mel and Jay. Around that time, there was a lot of shift in sort of, I slash like we are ready to let people in on this identity that I had. You wanted to be able to stand in front of our assembled community of family and friends and feel confident that they were seeing you the way you wanted to be seen and received. And so I actually think that getting married was a huge victory in terms of like, okay, now we are being seen and received and understood by our community in a very direct, tangible way as the couple that we have been for each other in private for a long time. Jay and Mel had fought hard for this victory. They grappled with their own queer identities before and while they got together. But to many who meet Jay and Mel together for the first time, 
this backstory is hardly obvious. In fact, often it's imperceptible. Many people look at them and just see a man and a woman who are married, without knowing the complexities of their experience. That is a pretty big shift for Mel and Jay, who had been used to presenting as a queer couple. At times, it feels like an erasure. We have a term in the trans community called passing, which essentially means like cisgender people, straight people perceive you as the the gender that you are like, I guess, identifying with in a rather kind of binary way though. And so I pass as male, like 100% of the time. Like people perceive me as a man more times than I think they're going to. I used to think that it would be really sad for me to be like walking down the street and not be read as visibly queer. And I've like realized that it's not, that part of it isn't as sad to me. Like I don't necessarily care how strangers see me, but it is really sad when I'm in like an intimate relationship, a friendship, even an acquaintance, when that like information is not shared in some way. One of my earliest, I guess, memories of being read as a straight couple by gay people. We were at a housewarming party and there is there are these two gay guys and we were talking with them and maybe they were like just being standoffish. I don't know. But I felt walking away from that conversation so upset because I felt like, wow, they had no idea. Like I just felt sure that they had no idea that we were queer. And that was crazy. That was crazy. It's funny that (laughs) like we've, we've both had to come out over the course of our relationship. And now we're in a position where we, we still have to find a way to, to come out. It felt like it had been such a big buildup to finally admitting that I was queer and finally being in a visibly queer relationship Mm -hmm. to all of a sudden, (laughs) like having a very straight, um, hetero seeming relationship. Mel and I have sort of developed these shorthands that we can kind of latch on to, to make sure that it comes up early on in a conversation. People will, you know, say like, when did you guys meet? And we can use that opportunity to say, we met at an all girls school when we were, you know, in seventh grade. When we were both girls in seventh grade. When we were both girls. (laughs) It's kind of the, the times like in more professional settings that I'm, I'm still learning how to bring, I have not figured out how to bring it up at work. (laughs) Mel and Jay expected change. They expected evolution, but they couldn't have anticipated everything. Like what it would feel like to pass as a straight couple in a social setting. What's pretty amazing to me is that the bond they formed when they were so young was something that actually didn't really change. That happened and it stuck. I feel like all the time that I came out as queer and I was searching for my like first girlfriends or whatever, I was always just kind of looking for Jay in other people. And I just, yeah, I wanted to be with you however you were. And I just wanted to be the kind of person who could be with you. It always just felt very natural. Sometimes I look at you and I'm like, you're my old schoolmate and you're like my first girlfriend and you're my husband and yeah, it's all all one. We're always afraid of becoming unrecognizable to the people that we love. 
I was afraid of becoming physically unrecognizable in my transition, but there's other smaller ways that I have also been like afraid to share, like, hey, I'm thinking about this, you know, whatever, because you fear that people are attached to a past version of yourself. And I guess like while it can feel so scary to share things that you're realizing about yourself, that's, I think, been like sort of the key to intimacy that I have felt like not only in my relationship with Mel, but other people. It is making me feel as though you you don't have to be the exact same person in order to be loved by the same person over time. Mm. Yeah, I think we've both had to learn how to be comfortable with being fluid people. (laughs) Before we moved in together, I suggested that we have a retreat where we talk about our values, which is sort of just laughable. But I remember we, we spent a long time trying to come up with what our like shared values might be as a couple. And the only thing that we could come up with was preparedness. And when we were getting married, we went through premarital counseling with the pastor at the church who was going to marry us. And I remember telling him this story about our values retreat. And he sort of said back to us, well, it sort of sounds like your preparedness is actually each other and being able to talk with one another is the way that you like find an anchor. I I feel like that is the anchor that I come back to, that we we just kind of lean on each other throughout that process. I I just got an emotion. I'm sorry. I got a little teary with that. That's like a lovely sentiment of just like being so many things to one people and in a life. Mel, Jay, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you, Meredith. It's been a great time. Thank you very much. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. Today's episode was produced by Caitlin Harrop, Amy Padula, and Scott Hellman. Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design, and mastering. Devin Smith and Maddie Mortel do our audience engagement. Love Letters illustrations by Ashanti Davis. Check them out on the Love Letters Instagram. Special thanks to Brian McGrory and Linda Henry. Our music is from APM. And if you like the show, please follow us on Apple Podcasts. You can always send us your own letter, a question, to loveletters at boston.com. We're online at loveletters.show. Yeah, sometimes, I know this bothers you, but it, 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 a lot of times I'll just look at you and be like, who are you? And like, when is one of our moms going to come pick us up? Like, when is this, like, hasn't this, like, sleepover gone on a little too long? Like, is that what marriage is? I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening.